My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credit pod. We are dealing with the penultimate episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier today. Eric, only one more to go, then a little bit of a break for Marvel material for a few weeks, few months. That'll be the first time kind of in 2021 that we don't have a, a consistent Marvel thing to talk about. So I'm a little sad about that. Until yeah, what? Like June, probably, right? Early June? Yeah, I think uh, June or mid or early June for Loki, then July 9th for Black Widow. Shang-Chi, I wouldn't be surprised if they move it back one more time. We'll say. Oh, wow. And then there's just, just for Chinese New Year, just a oh. really bang for your buck. Oh, and then there's What If squeezed in there too somewhere. Good call. And yeah. I think uh, Eternals in November, which if they move Eternals one more time, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> But before we jump into Marvel, let's, as always, get to our trending news of the week. First off, the F9 trailer, the the second and presumably last trailer, since we only have about a a month and a half until it comes out. Man, you know, I think Fast and Furious, someone on Twitter said it is basically like the rural Mission Impossible. And I was like, that makes so much sense. And I, you know what? I love it. I think it's so much fun and I can't wait to get drunk and see it in theaters. I'm so glad you said, well, I am so glad you said two things. That drunk thing was a great tweet because that's the essence that. of fast, right? It's not. Oh, yeah. It's, it's sort of like, and this is a wild comp here. It's sort of paranormal activity-esque in the sense that it's more of just this absurd experience than it is an actual movie. Um, that said, I think that the uh, comparing it to... MI franchise is not really fair. And I I wrote this down here because the Fast franchise's MO, right? What they're known for are their stunts. But but whereas films like, let's say, Fallout, right? Fallout is known for for that incredible bathroom fight scene, right? Or for Tom... And the helo jump. Right. Fast is... Fast or F9 or Furious, like I joked that they're probably going to call the last one finally furious i like that i like the alliteration there's stuff like the raid or even if you look at captain america the winter soldier they have these set pieces that are known for being unique and standing out because they're unique in execution the fast franchise's stunts are solely focused on concept and how ridiculous it can be (laughs) and that doesn't really click with me like fast five was sort of, to me, that last one where they were teetering that line of doing something ridiculous, but also doing something genuinely new when they did that safe through the streets thing. Everything since then has just been a a sole commitment. And while I respect it, it it is popcorn's most Walter White uncut drug (laughs) form. And I respect that totally, but it just doesn't click with me in the same way that other action franchises do. I get it. And the good thing is, They get it. They're very self-aware, and that's probably their strength. They're also, and you like to give props to Universal, well-run. They were one of the only big-budget marquee tickets last year to say, fuck 2020. We're going straight to next year. And now they, they haven't spent dollars on having to change their marketing or sort of just the embarrassing baggage. Like by the time No Time to Die comes out, it's going to be like a joke, you know, like, hey, hey <laughs> No Time to Die is finally here. So there's a lot going for it. I'm super excited for it, even though I don't necessarily enjoy these as much as most people. Yeah, I mean, I think the Fast and Furious movies, 
aren't good films, but they are entertaining films. If you ask me, what are you more excited for? Top Gun Maverick, you know, Mission Impossible 7, those types of things. I'm going to say those every single day, but I am excited to be in a, like I said in that tweet, a big theater with a bunch of drunken idiots just like me who are screaming their heads off at the ridiculousness of it all. The experience is what I'm paying for, less so than Vin Diesel and, and John Cena going at it. Franchise that's out for 20 years now at this point. That's just crazy. Who knew they, they used to steal VCRs and now they saved the world. <laughs> and now and now they're going to fucking space. All right, switching over to another hopeful blockbuster franchise, at least Netflix is hoping. Uh, Army of the Dead, that trailer came out. And you know me, Eric. I've talked openly on this pod. I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan in the world. But man, this movie looked fun. It's blending the heist and zombie genres. It's got a great eclectic cast. It's got Dave Bautista, who I love. I'm excited and, you know, more excited than I was for Snyder Cut or anything like that. It's nice to sort of see him going home, right, to like the genre that kicked it off for him. And I think that that'll serve him well. This is probably when he's at his best, when it's more of like a video game than a film. You know, this this is considerably less grandiose than Batman v Superman or 300 or when he could stay focused on just kinetic entertainment, which... I mean, that's what this is, is probably when he's at his best. I love the idea he said during the press conference that in this world, the zombie apocalypse outbreak started in Vegas. That's why it's like that, which I mean, if there is one place for a disgusting viral disease to start, it's probably there. So uh, do I think it's going to turn into the franchise that Netflix hopes that to me is up in the air right now. It depends. Does the Snyder Cut fan base follow him wherever he goes and deploy that same passion to it? If they're banking on that, which would Loki be sort of smart, then perhaps. But do I think the short of it being fantastic, do I think the average person is like Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead? Like I've been waiting for this one. I don't know. I don't doubt that it'll do very well viewership wise will it do well conversation wise they already have a uh, live action prequel that wraps filming and an animated spinoff so they better hope so yeah all right let's move on to the quick hitters there is a rumored wolverine anthology series possibly being developed at disney plus i don't buy this one personally well this did come from that hashtag show which you had said is pretty good so look i only put it in because i love that idea right if there was a way for disney to do it i suppose it's starting off like this because maybe they could do one season a little more gnarly than the next and it would give us more of a full scope than the character we've seen i think the most fascinating thing about when if and when he does show up is do they go the henry cavill a-lister stud route or do they revert to the comic book look and go with a more animal looking actor we'll see i think the point here is that wheels are turning and i'd say within the next i would say something is announced with his name attached to it in the next three years hope so uh she hulk reportedly begins production a character i know next to nothing about so that honestly has has me excited because i don't know anything true Uh, yeah so i'm pumped for that uh, Kong Skull Island director Jordan Vaught Roberts is tapped to direct a live action Gundam film for Netflix. Again, a property I know nothing about, but I know it's beloved and I know it is 
spread across multiple series, movies, and, and a million things that the deep fans really, really, really are passionate That's about. That's one of those things I feel like back in my childhood, I would catch on Toonami and didn't That's realize I had seen it until like 15 years later. I was like, oh, that's what that big robot <laughs> show was. Like, I do remember that. Because I have, because you confuse that with like Power Rangers, sort of how they all sort of like, I think the whole thing that is, that, is they like, that they like link up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into that shit. It's sort of like uh, Pacific Rim Kaiju-esque type vibe. Yeah, Fuck giant, it, man. Giant robots fighting the cost of war. You know, good. And, I, um, I, sounds like it could be cool. And I think, isn't this Voight Roberts dude also the one doing Metal Gear Solid with, yeah, with Oscar yeah. Isaac? Yeah, so this guy, interesting. I hope it's good. Lucy Liu has been cast as the villain Calypso in Shazam Fury of the Gods. Lucy Liu putting in work, 20 years, still going strong. That's awesome. I think she's a good actress. I'm excited yeah, about that. And she looked the exact same as she did then. Uh, Top Gun Maverick delayed again from July 4th to November 9th. I this don't really is get fucking this bullshit. One. Yeah, I, I don't get this one either. I really do not. Just seems like Independence Day is the perfect one for your pro-military pop propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we got to wait even longer. Paramount, as usual, I don't know what you're doing. And finally, Godzilla vs. Kong. Officially. Just a quick shade. Just squeeze <laughs> it in the quick shade. Yeah. And Godzilla vs. Kong is officially the most successful film in the pandemic with basically 360 million worldwide as of this past weekend. So, you know, good on you. I didn't love the movie, but it's it's good to see theatrical movie going recovery. For That's sure. healthy for everybody. Healthy, 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 healthy is the keyword. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Exactly. All right, let's jump in to our recap of episode five, Truth, which was right off the bat. The you penultimate. Know, yeah, power, powerful title right there. Yeah, yep, yep. So Sam and Bucky track down John Walker, who is more unstable than we've ever seen him at any point of the show. Guy is absolutely losing it after executing a flag smasher publicly last week. Uh, throughout the show's run, Walker has teetered the line between likable dick, trying to do the right thing, and potentially breaking bad. And now here we clearly see there's no redemption for him. He is full-on bad. Uh, Sam and Bucky demand the shield from him. Of course, he's like, I am Captain America. So it just, you know, leads to fisticuffs, as you have been hyping up this whole time. And I thought it was just a stellar fight scene. Walker gets his arm broken. Sam's wingsuit is destroyed. But our heroes eventually come off with the shield. And, you know, as I said last week, I probably would have preferred to keep Walker as a more morally ambiguous character. But I do think he, he, especially here and in general, represents the racial divide in terms of how our country treats these like quote unquote heroes. And they're clearly setting him up for something in the future that is very exciting to me. So overall, I thought, I thought it was really well done, especially the fight scene. I don't think your ship has sailed on him being a more morally ambiguous character going forward. I'll touch on this during his sort of courtroom scene. I have never felt for and related to him more than I did in, in wow. that scene. And I'll get to that. So I 
don't think that ship has sailed. I think they could still take it in that route, like particularly that. considering who they introduced in the conversation that they had. I also just want to make a, a quick note that I just thought of before I get into my real points, a quick joke point. Notice how they open up with him doing a full-blown sprint, like once he's left town, because the optic of him running away from the crowd would be too funny. <laughs> like him just like going from that evil standing there look to being like, Oh shit, I gotta get out of here. I just, <laughs> I just sprinting away while everyone's just standing there, like, uh, okay, dude. The classic so, guilty men don't run. Ugh. So, so I, I just think, but this scene sort of highlights two of this show's strengths that I think we've talked about a lot so far. The contrasting ideas about what it means to be a hero, that's all at play here. And then sort of the kinetic hand to hand combat fight scenes that have been around for as long as Bucky has really because this all started with the Winter Soldier film and they sort of kept that fighting style in this show like I said last week from a plotting point of view and from a moral point of view I don't know how else this week was gonna start like as I said last week you just can't let that shit fly but at the same time I think this did do a good scene especially with that sort of inner cutting of flashbacks to put you in his headspace you feel for him in the sense that he genuinely loved his best friend i would have done the same thing it was a terrorist who killed my best friend who was an american agent like I well he did that that one didn't technically kill his best friend i know but he's part of a terrorist organization i so, wouldn't have done it you know publicly so he just lost his best friend in the heat of battle that'll test the moral fortitude of anybody let alone somebody with the physical capabilities to actually do something about it now but here's the key right as someone who has flown off the absolute handle once or twice <laughs> in my life the key is not that you went over the edge the key is that you were able to take a breath and come back down off it right Sam and Bucky give him that chance to Good take call. that breath, calm down. Look, man, you fucked up. We get it. We're with you, dog. You know, like we are we, we are here to help you. He refuses. Therefore, passion can no longer be blamed, right? You could no longer say, judge, it was a crime of passion. He consciously chooses chaos and violence in that moment. And that's the problem, more so than him killing that guy. Absolutely. And I, I thought it was interesting that he said there, so defeated, so heartbroken. We could have been a team. I understand that he just did something terrible, but they were kind of offering him that chance. Like, we can help you with this. You know, we can be a team, maybe not exactly how you envisioned it, but we can work with you. He was like, nah, fuck that. And at that same time, they were both doing it, but in different ways, right? Sam was coming in from a very good cop routine way trying to make walker feel like he understands and forgives him whereas bucky is maybe less inclined to forgive and applies more of a let's fucking do this bucky was ready to whoop ass attitude because because he knows what it's like to take a life yeah. and he is more in walker's headspace and knows what kind of threat he really is I also feel that he's more offended with what Walker just did and how that relates to how the world will feel about Steve and the shield. So again, uh, as has been the theme with this series, they're both taking two very different approaches to being a hero, both of which prove that they are more capable and deserving of that shield than Walker ever was. 
Bucky with the shield is like your drunken friend who takes any shit talking against his favorite sports team way too seriously and defensively, you know? <gasps> What'd you say about my shield, son? And, and, but he explains why. Yeah, he's right. It's just yeah. funny. Uh, and then there's the quick cues from the battle itself. For a moment, I thought Bucky was going to unleash Black Panther-like claws and do a scratch. That would have been cool. That would have been fucking sick. Because there's a moment where like, it sort of looks like that, but he just grabs the top of the shield. He, he, he doesn't scratch down. And then at the end, when Walker is defeated, there's that same sort of score from when Bucky and Steve beat Tony. At- yeah. Yeah, it's the same sort of cue there. That was nice. And I got to give Marvel credit throughout the whole MCU run. They make a shield, which is inherently a kind of boring, non-dynamic battle weapon. Very cool and compelling yeah. in, all, in all facets. Yeah, he's, throw, he's throwing it around here big time. Yeah. So as a result, Walker receives a dishonorable discharge and is stripped of his role as Captain America. He tells the assorted congressional board that they built him. They shaped him into a weapon. And in his mind, all he did is what they asked. And later he is then met after the congressional hearing, after they've stripped him, after he's at the lowest point of his life, he is met by Countessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, played by 11-time Emmy winner Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She slips him her card, all smooth and in control-like, tells him to come when she calls. And... That was interesting. We'll get into that. Uh, After that, Walker basically visits Lamar's family to explain what happened to their son. And it actually is a touching moment where, again, we come back to the flashbacks you were mentioning. I do feel for him. He he just lost his partner and someone's son. But to to zoom back out to the Julia Louis-Dreyfus, this is the big cameo that Malcolm Spellman, the showrunner, was uh, teasing. And... I thought it was really, really interesting because I had never heard of the character. I had to do some research afterwards, which she is basically Madame Hydra in a lot of iterations. She is kind of an anti-Nick Fury, like you talked about uh, when we were texting. She's probably recruiting some sort of Thunderbolts Dark Avengers initiative right now. And I thought that was a cool setup. Didn't distract from the main story. I I thought it was well done. And anytime you can add Julia Louis-Dreyfus to anything, you do it. I mean, the reveal was just stunning. Like, there were a few people on this earth that could have made me be like, you know what, Marvel? Well done. And bringing one of, I wrote, one of the funniest people alive right now into the MC. I mean, dude, I just just binge-watched Veep, like, last August. I mean, this woman, if you haven't watched Veep. I've watched like two seasons and I loved it. I just got you back to it. Oh, she is next level, dude. She's I mean, so just, a, just a force of fucking nature, especially when she doesn't have the shackles of a sitcom, right? Like when she can really get edgy, she's she's a fucking shark. And that's the sort of vibe I got here. Her Veep character, but a villainous version, right? Like yeah. what would happen if... Like sort she of, wasn't fettered by law and government. Exactly. So that's sort of the vibe I got. That may have been why they they cast her. They were like, we need you to be Selena Meyer's evil purple haired twin. And the tenth like, age degree, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I am floored. As Vanity Fair pointed out, she was supposed to debut in Black Widow. So that's two of the first three. No, sorry. Had the MCU unfolded the way that they planned, that would have been her appearing in the first two phase four projects. And, that's that, cool. and that tells me, Brandon, that she's going to be a, 
a Nick Fury like character for for the next five six years or so. That's my, my vibe because of the way that they were going to roll her out. We only know what role she's going to play in Black Widow. It could be even bigger than this. They may have just reshot it here to have it be more of a first reveal camera work type thing. But you add all that up and you've got, and you also add up that in the secret invasion comic book, she's revealed to be possessed by a scroll. Oh, I didn't know that. Her and Nick Fury have a romantic past. So I could see a sort of chess game between the two of them going forward. She's going to be around a bunch. I was absolutely stoked. It was like 8 a.m. and I screamed. I yelled. <laughs> it um, was really cool. And it also confirmed the long-running rumor that there was going to be a connection between Black Widow and the Falcon and Winter Soldier. True, even, if, true. even if she's been edited out due to like the time lapse, I like that like the early reports were correct. Now, do you have thoughts on the courtroom scene? Yeah, I just want to quickly come back to that because I thought, again, like I said before, it is the epitome of the racial divide. Walker is unhinged and murdering people in the streets and he is discharged and stripped of his title but allowed to go free. Bradley saves his squad mates from being murdered by the U.S. government that deployed them in the first place and is thrown in jail for 30 years. And and we'll get to that scene in more detail soon. But it is the the tale of two Americas. And I think the Falcon and Winter Soldier, and again, we'll expand on this, is at its best when it's kind of digging into that false idealism that America props itself up upon that does make me rethink this the way that i feel about this scene knowing looking at it through that compare and contrast view of how he's getting off the hook where someone before him who did much better deeds did not all that said i sort of think that this is when like the mcu is at their low-key best right when they sort of slip into like a random genre real quick like it just became a it's army a few co- good men but for marvel i know i put out a uh tweet for us i was like now i just want to see the mcu's wait did you not see that tweet i, I didn't see that but i like that we're on the same page my man doesn't I mean, doesn't surprise me that you scoped that yeah so I, I mean i was like now i just want to see that right i was like show me the trial of john walker bringing some scumbag lawyer all that shit but this sort of plays on an idea that I've talked about a lot during the show and how, and I think that this series is trying to portray is how people in this world and how people in the real world in general use and abuse their heroes for as long as they need them. And then when they don't, they cast them aside. And this is the ultimate example of that to me. Forget all of Walker's non superpowered army good deeds. Okay. Forget that he did all of that, that he sacrificed his life time and time again. Even here, he was on a government mission, risking his life for his country. And one of his men was killed by a terrorist. And guess what? He killed one too. Are the optics and the semantics of it a mess? Absolutely. But in a vacuum, and as you said last week, and as he said this week, he was just doing his job. So... In a way, in a weird way, this is as much as I've ever felt for him and understood him, you know, especially when when he's saying, I'm what you made me and trained me to be. That also sort of weaves into the to the PTSD thing that I talked about last week, how, you know, from where I sat, he sort of was portraying that he feels like a shell of his former self. He feels like you turned me into this and now you're turning me away. So I think that the Walker character has evolved from someone you hate for no reason 
and don't understand why they act that way to someone you hate for a reason, but now you understand why they are the way that they are. And I think that that is incredible character work, especially considering how condensed of a timeline they've had to do it on. So as I said last week, how my MVP was the character, I think that continues to be the case here in how they are exploring the darker side and the very easily accessible side of the cost of being a hero. He is very much like you're saying, and and I wrote a bit about this for Observer today. He is a microcosm for a common thread in the MCU and in ways that are disturbing, the same side of the Isaiah Bradley coin. Almost always in the MCU, some sort of institution that's meant to protect its citizens uses and abuses individuals for their own purposes before discarding them in some way. And you can see how even if he is unstable, even if he has made poor choices, you can see that they are the corrupt, rotting morality that basically infects everyone around them and everyone they use. And I think that trickle down effect is very potent and important because we need, it's like, it's like the winter soldier times a million. We need to tear down all of these institutions we thought we could put our faith in because they are failing everyone. Defund the captain America. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And he sees that, he sees that a poster of himself and he's like, ah, deep reflection. Ah, no, but, isn't that the point? Is doesn't that show? And I, and I get that you sort of make a joke of it there, but I still liked it. I'm, I'm just for Marvel know. to build up for Marvel to tear down the very idea of what they've been doing for 13 years is a bold step. Oh Cap, yeah, absolutely. Cap was the heart and soul of the the MCU. He's barely been dead two years in real world time. Whatever. We don't even know if he's officially dead. No, but I'm saying like in in our lives, yeah. Endgame was two years ago. And like now they're like, hey, guess what? The cap thing is a little more sketchy than you thought. So, you know, it, nobody's ever going to confuse the MCU for a genuine thesis on society and all that stuff. But they're trying, right? Yeah. They're actually trying. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. I'm glad and, you said and, it. And, and I don't see how you don't give them credit for that. Is it a little, I don't want to say janky, but a little uh, stuttery start and stop patched up here and there. You know how we were like talking about the race themes a lot the first two weeks. And then the last two weeks, it sort of dropped out and now it's back again. All in all, though, I think the swing, I think if, you know, to make a sports comp as we do on this show for their first time at bat, taking a swing on this, they've made solid contact. Not a home run, but solid contact. For sure. And I think that's best epitomized by this next section. Sam leaves the damaged wingsuit with Torres, who I I believe in comics readers can correct me on Twitter. I believe he becomes a hero as well. I I think think. he becomes Falcon. Oh, that's cool. Oh, and you know, Falcon was like, you keep him. Oh yeah. No, that's cool. I like that. The classic like uh, CSI Miami type. You keep them, kid. You know, like, <laughs> just, so, just so in your face. That's cool. All right. That makes sense. I, I still like it, though. Um, he returns to the U.S. to visit with Isaiah Bradley, who reveals more about his past, including his 30-year imprisonment, imprisonment after rescuing his fellow soldiers, who had also been experimented on with the super soldier serum without their knowing consent. And Bradley has no desire to go public or attempt to fight any sort of battle for truth as he believes, and all the evidence suggests so, 
this country is inherently racist and will never change. And as compared to Sam, who perhaps naively believes that the world has evolved, you know, he, he says things are different. I know people. And he goes, man, you know, nothing's changed. Why would I want to be, you know, Captain America? Why would any self-respecting black man want to be Captain America? That was a devastating line, but I think that's, I think he had Sam on board until he said that because Sam sort of looked at him and in a, in a vibe that I got, don't tell me how to be a black man. That's sort of, that is sort of where I think Sam changed. Now, is that the moment that confirmed to him he is going to take up the shield? I doubt it. But I think that was the moment for him where he realized Bradley doesn't necessarily know me the way he thinks he does. But I like that his later conversation with Bucky helps add a little bit of context to that, which yeah. we'll get to. But to me, this was very, very, Reminiscent. I think this was a clear reference to the Tuskegee experiments. Do you know that? Vaguely, but go ahead. So Please just for explain. anyone who may, who may not, it was a it was in the mid 20th century. This really happened. It was like 1930s to 1970s, a long time. The US government lied to impoverished black men and said they would receive free health care and treatment of syphilis. But instead, the government basically just wanted to study the effects of syphilis on, on black people. They didn't, you know, they gave them uh you know, what, what's it called? Placebos. They, they, didn't, they didn't treat them. They just studied them. And as a result, more than 100 people died. Uh, 20 wives of these men were infected and dozens of children were born with congenital syphilis. So, I mean, that is horrible. And I think this is a clear real life parallel to our very much real life shameful past in America. And building off that, I think the first, much of the first four episodes, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier revolved around how we fight the battles that matter without losing ourselves within them. In episode five, I think the show does a good job reorienting itself around who we fight for. And I think it's a better series for it. And like you were just saying, Eric, it may be a PG-13 kids show, ostensibly, but it's highlighting the false ideals America likes to champion. You know, it it is a, a actual entertainment-based representation of our deeply, sickeningly flawed country and not the star-spangled, awesome world power we like to think we are. And I think this conversation between Isaiah and Falcon was was painful, it was soulful, it was deep, and it was the best of truths that this show has exhibited thus far. Yeah, I wrote down what I want to ask you is, do you think that this is, quote-unquote, the realest conversation that the, the MCU has ever had? It's one of them, and I'll get to that in our words and our conversations. I, I mean, I, I think it's better. I, I still like WandaVision more at these respective comparison points, but I think this dealing with the cyclical nature of race relations in this country and at, at large is more potent and compelling when it hits than the, the dealing of the loss themes with um, WandaVision, but it's been more scattershot. Because when I had asked you the first week or two, I said, do you think that they're just going to imply all these race themes or do you think it is going to be explicitly said? Pretty explicit. (laughs) Yeah. Him saying they will never let a black man be cap is a fucking devastating line. And I think that that's probably the most as serious as the MCU has ever been, not in terms of oh, we're going to lose half the galaxy because this purple fucking dickhead has got some gripe with us. Heavy and serious in terms of actual real-world topics. Hearing that said, you know, think about the age group watching that show. These are questions now that they're going to ask themselves about what that means. And that's important shit. So 
I love this scene. I yeah. think it was one of, again, every time Bradley pops up and it's a credit to the guy playing him. Carl Lovely. Like, who also like, voiced Martian Manhunter in oh, no the kidding. Justice League cartoon. Yeah, fun fact that I learned today. I did not know it's that. It's just like everybody shut up and listen. Yeah. This guy's every, got some shit to drop. Yeah. every And to that point, I was hoping we'd get a flashback so bad. It almost feels like they're teasing it, right? I really want to see it. Like they're putting it out in the air just for us to hope for it. But yeah, again, just I give them props for going for it. In terms of the actual conversation they're trying to have, they're all in it. Yeah, I agree. And, and like you said, this is the realest, most honest, most relevant source that they are pushing. And I like Right, that. yeah. So Bucky finds Zemo in Sokovia and hands him over to the Dora Milaje after a bit of a tense standoff. Zemo is, to me, a, a kind of compelling presence because he's fighting ideological battles and not trying to punch his way out of this situation. He basically tells Bucky there's only one way for the conflict with the Flag Smashers to end, essentially insinuating Bucky has to return to the murderer he once was to solve this ongoing issue. He then goes off with the Wakandans without protest to be taken prisoner. Um, am I surprised, Eric, that he didn't have some larger plan at play thus far? We don't know if the season finale has something. Yes, but clearly Marvel isn't done with him yet, which I, I very much like. Uh, I thought it was also interesting and a nice little kind of bookend. The Sokovia Accords were all about restricting the free deployment of elite military forces in foreign regions. And yet now it's also used as the site of Zemo's capture at the hands of the foreign Dora Milaje. So I thought that was some ironic poetic justice that brings everything a little bit full circle. You know, a piece of paper isn't going to protect this world or change this world as much as anyone hopes. Right. So he's being brought to the raft, which is sort of that floating, gigantic jail that we saw again at the end of Civil War, where Sam and Clint were being held. It seems like Walker may end up there at some point, too. That's my guess for him, that that's where they put him. And And then then, they link up. Right, exactly. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. With like Val somehow involved. Now, as we touched on, the consensus seems to be that they're building towards the Thunderbolts. And I think the Thunderbolts are more likely than the Dark Avengers because of their palatability and marketability. Um, now, correctly, just, though, just quickly, the Thunderbolts are not like the Suicide Squad. They're not like bad guys doing good shit, or are they? No, that's vaguely what they are as okay, far as I... Okay. I, I didn't I, realize. It's like, it's like Thunderbolt Rosses in the Expendable comics. Squad. Right. And I mean, Red Hulk is one of them. So but what I think is that Val is going to be taking on like an Amanda Waller-esque role within the MCU who sort of blurs that line between good guy and bad guy and sort of is sort of a means to an end type force who is like swordfish john travolta who is willing to work within the gray spaces to get done what she needs done you know one of the first things she says to walker is like i would have killed that bastard too so she lets her vibe be known immediately so i think i mean i would love to see again walker and zemo somehow link up in that jail yeah that would be really cool be a great way to get the ball rolling on the next phase. And, you know, we have a whole big, long episode to conclude this. So, right. you know, a post-credit scene like, ah, welcome, Mr. Mr. Walker. So, you know, Zemo just right. being creepy from the next cell. Well, unless he escapes, like they blatantly told him, you are not Cap. And as we've seen 
in the teaser that they put out this week, he shows up wearing his cap suit again at some point. So you got to think since they just told him to chill the fuck out and he seems to be doing <laughs> the opposite of that, that they're going to throw him in jail. He needs to either escape and become a full-blown bad guy, die, which would be so stupid to kill him, or put him in jail. Yeah. All right, from here, Sam returns home. He's helping his sister fix the family boat with the assistance from several of their neighbors who love the Wilson family and Bucky. And uh, we get we get some some great interplay between both of them and, and Bucky and uh, Sam's sister. It's just a nice little sequence. Uh, later, Sam and Bucky, while training with the S.H.I.E.L.D., basically agree to move on from their past and their, their gripes with each other and work together. They discuss the legacy and meaning of Steve S.H.I.E.L.D. And Bucky admits that then this is what I like because I think it comes back to the Isaiah Bradley conversation and what you were saying in terms of like, you don't know me as well as you think. I like that Bucky admits that neither he or Steve really considered the cultural baggage from both sides that accompanies being given the shield. You know, they, they are so well-intentioned, but in their way, even the great white hope, Chris Evans, uh, I mean, Steve Rogers, actually also Chris Evans was blinded by his own white privilege by not understanding what giving the shield to a black man in modern cultural times and the bags that comes along with that really means. Yeah. So I thought that was a good touch. And Bucky also gives him a case of uh, a case courtesy of the Wakandans, which I I'm presuming is a new wingsuit and the comic accurate red, white, and blue costume. Just Eric, what, what an excellent conversation. What an excellent like hashtag becoming bros montage. Uh, you know, they get to voice all of the underlying tension that has gone unsaid, unspoken since civil civil war. So I just thought this was a nice expedient way to do expected character development and resolution. But in a way, I was like, you know what? That fits. I like it. Well, since you made all my points for me, all I'm going to say is Disney, come on. You've got a Southern montage and you don't spend the cash on some Credence or some Skinner. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, what are we doing here? Like, give me a, a really break. good point. How do you guys not own the rights to that shit already? Don't oh. be a simple kind of man. You can't be doing a Southern bonding montage, especially with what amounts to veterans. Right. And not use credits or scattered. It's offensive to me. I think it's a great point. Uh, also in it, they, they keep saying Steve's gone, but that is an intentionally vague sentiment. Is he dead or is he just off the grid, you know, being old somewhere? We still don't know. Do you have an idea or a theory? Was that a question? I didn't even realize that that was up for debate. He, I mean, I, they, they, they don't say he's dead. They just say, they keep saying he's gone. I, I presume he's dead. But, you know, it's the number one rule in TV and movies. Unless you see a body or like an explicit confirmation, I don't know. But that is a whole new can of worms. Like the funeral that they had for him, right? You we mean don't nobody know. saw the body? But they didn't have a funeral. When did they have a funeral? Well, what was that? thing at the beginning he's ironing a shirt for the shield ceremony at the at the smithsonian which yeah it looks like it's a funeral but then you see him but, wearing those clothes in the next scene but they don't say the cap is dead at any point or not I, like i don't believe so if any beast. if i'm mistaken just hit us up at postgrad pod does the world think he's dead so because, remember i said um someone zoomed in on one of the the articles in the cat museum and the government doesn't know where he is but they've told the public that he's retired that's what the that's what the people think, but the government doesn't know where he is. Interesting. Okay. That that was you know what people were talking about, which is cool. And then uh, just quickly, finally, also con this conversation confirms the end game theory that Steve did tell Bucky what he was planning to do. That Bucky knew he was going back. Ah, interesting. I did not know that either. 
I like that. And then if you rewatch Endgame, which I've done a couple times, because I think Sebastian Stan has made vague comments about it before, you can kind of see some, like Bucky knows like this is goodbye, and it's not like oh yeah, I'll see you in ten seconds. Oh, interesting. Okay. Rewatch that well, last well, scene. Why not tell Sam then? I don't get that. Uh, you know, I think maybe you know Bucky's his day one. He maybe he just couldn't have that conversation with Sam. I don't know. Okay. People are complex. <laughs> <laughs> That's such All a right. cop out, but fair enough. <laughs> the Flag Smashers plan an attack on the GRC and are joined by Batrock, George St. Pierre, who I love seeing just because he's George St. Pierre, uh, who has been released from prison with the help of Sharon Carter, which, what? And then in a mid credit scene, Walker builds a new shield from scrap metal and his war metals. That was pretty cool. Uh, I, I just think this was also the epitome of I don't care about the Flag Smasher. She's like, how must how many of must of us die so we can live in this world? I'm like, yo, you're killing people. And I get that sometimes it's justified, but you're just not compelling villains. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll get to that in a bit. Um, again, this Sharon Carter thing just makes no fucking sense. At this point, we have to assume that she's the power broker, right? I don't know. I, I, I I'm I, going I, forward with that because she <laughs> went when she was like the power broker's real angry. It's gonna get real nasty. I'm just like, all right, I guess. But she how does she become the power broker in like a year and a half after being a CIA agent? I'm like, no, oh, we don't trust you because you were a exactly. CIA agent. None of this shit makes sense. That's the problem, right? And that's why I get we that we're care. looking too much into it. Like, no, you know. I know, but the, just as I said, this storyline, all these storylines, what's going on with Bucky, Sam, and John? What's going on with the Flag Smashers and what's going on with Sharon Carter and Majapur have always felt to me very distant and yeah, separate. Sure. And, as, and as they've tried to be linked in the editing room and not in the screenplay. So that's why I think whatever's going on with her is going to be something in Shang-Chi because at this point... Because at this point, it's just it, it, it's just been nonsense. Absolute nonsense. I love your theory from a couple of weeks ago that the real Mandarin could be the power broker. I think that would be awesome. And even if it's like two seconds at the end of the season finale, I'll be like, yes. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be great. That would be fucking great. But at this point, I'm starting to lose hope. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into our awards and categories. The Infinity Gauntlet Award for the real MVP. I'm going with fight choreographer James Young. He also did Winter Soldier, Civil War, the Guardians movies. I think it's fair to say, pound for pound, Marvel does not have great creative dynamic action. But when you combine the kind of cosmic, otherworldly action of the Titan sequence in Infinity War with Doctor Strange and Thanos, which you know, we both love, with like the hand-to-hand combat of a Daredevil or a, a Winter Soldier or here in Falcon Winter Soldier, they do have some standout moments. And I hope they continue to try to really push the boundaries there. Shang-Chi will clearly help because that has always been slightly lacking in the MCU. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Good call. I'm going with the emotional stakes. Everybody in this one seems like they're going through some shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, everybody's dealing with, with something. So nobody is going to confuse the emotion of this with that of WandaVision. But I did feel like this episode went a long way in sort of weighing down the stakes as we head into the final chapter and sort of reminding you of the humans involved in this sort of very superhero globe trotting popcorn story the next i'm going to go with the stripping away of the captain america mirage image or um, yeah just like real life newsflash guys the usa we aren't usually the good guys that we think you know as you said and i and and learning that, learning that is a very like adult moment. Like I feel like when you realize that, you sort of change. You're like, what? Like 
You mean the give us your sick, you're tired, you're poor is bullshit? <laughs> When you when you understand that you reach a point of adulthood that you had not unlocked before. So Marvel, who is fucking run by Disney and Disney's for kids and all that, doing that, and as I said at, at the same time, uh, tearing down the narrative of the very story that they've been telling for 13 years is a brave, brave move for them. Brave, not so much brave because at this point they're too big to fail, right? But brave in the sense of they're getting woke. And, you know, we hear people on Twitter all the time, keep wokeness out of sports, blah, blah, blah. You bet your ass that there are some people at home who watch the show who are like, I'm never watching the MCU again. But Captain America is the best. USA is the best. For them to do that, I respect it. I'm so glad you said that, Eric, because for my Thor The Dark World Award for worst performance, I have simply... U.S. history. Oh, I have the U.S. government. (laughs) All right, we're on the same. That that goes to show you how well they distilled this theme in this episode, that we are both landing on the same thing. So, and then I just wrote down why, (laughs) because fuck them, that's why. (laughs) It's so true. And as much as, you know, I I love living in America, man, we are fucked up. Yeah, but again- nothing's changed. And that doesn't really bother, I mean, look, it bothers me, right? But what bothers me more is the lie. And the pretend, if we want to be the anti-hero bad guy, then fuck it. Let's be it. But don't put on the mask of the hero when it's such a fucking, oh boy, here we go again. Facade. There you go. Nailed it, dude. Boom, facade. You know, I don't want to hear that shit. As I just said, the give me the sick, you're tired, you're poor thing has been obliterated to me. So that is what bothers me most, right? It's not so much... There is a lot of gray in this world. No country is perfect. And I get that. But it's it, it's the lie that we are this yeah. this house on a shining hill or whatever the fuck the phrase is. You know, and for Marvel to delve into that is is pretty extreme. I'm, I'm going to touch on that in a later award. So I'm, I'm glad that we're vibing on this one. Uh, the Jarvis Award for the best performance this by anyone so except easy. the lead actor. I say Wild Russell and Carl Lumbly. I think they both just crushed it. Uh, yeah, I had our boy Carl Lumbly, but I will give you Wyatt as well because he he's been consistently good throughout the whole show to the extent that I hope they keep the character around for sure. Yeah, me too. And and you're right. I would love to see a quick flashback of young uh, Isaiah Bradley doing anything. It could honestly just be a conversation. It doesn't even need to be an action. But I would just love to see something like that, right, right. or or a future spinoff. Would I watch four episodes, six episodes of like the 1950 Super Soldier program? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Tony Stark Exposition slash Monologue Award, aka the Star Lord Who Award, for shit we need explained to us. I'm going with Val, Madame Hydra. Great piece by Joanna Robinson on Vanity Fair to explain her more. I didn't know who she was from just the the first name drop. I just knew Julia Louis-Dreyfus. This is cool. They're setting up some really cool stuff. But then I had to go read about her to like, oh, now I know what her place is in Marveldom. Uh All right. I'm going with if Sam has a hard time paying his bills, then where is Bucky getting the money to, oh, I got to catch a flight to Sokovia and New Orleans and back home i just don't get it where's his money coming from there's I no pardon to... stipend as long as, as as far as i'm concerned yeah, i don't think that's absurd. a thing like they made a point they made an actual point of it of being like tony stark fucked you guys sam how are you broke this is messed up and yet bucky is like could just get a 
plane ticket to wherever he needs to go? It just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't make any sense that Tony wasn't breaking off a little bread for the squad. Like, are you kidding me? I'm looking it up now. Okay, this is obviously just some random source on the internet, but they, his net worth is apparently $12.4 billion of fictional yeah. characters. Again, that's you know some random source. Actually, it might be sourced from the Forbes fictional. I think it is actually, which is a little bit more uh, you know, official, but uh, you know, twelve and a half billion dollars. You're telling me they can't get like six figures, my man? George Clooney gave 12 of his best yeah. friends a million dollars each. Fact. That's all we're talking about here. <laughs> like, come on, Tony. Like, and also there wasn't anything in the will. Be like, oh, I got to take care of these guys. Like Bruce Banner is not getting a job anywhere these days. <laughs> um, time Stone, that real quick award, aka the rewind that real quick. Opening fight scene. Like I oh. said, Marvel doesn't always have the best action, but between ah. the cosmic otherworldly fights on Titan and the hand-to-hand combat that we've seen, I-, I think they can be getting better, and they are getting better, and, and I want to see more of that. And again, Shang-Chi, Blade, things like that. Are re- Moon Knight, based on the Oscar Isaac videos, I really yeah. think we're getting yeah. some, some awesome yeah. choreography. I agree. Uh, also, who knew cut- Oscar Isaac was so athletic, by the way? It's completely random, but those videos, I'm like, how does he move like that? He's 40. Yeah, right. He oh yeah, he's older than you'd think. But um, so ours are kind of flipped here for this one. I just have JLD just showing up. I actually rewound the scene <laughs> yeah. just just because the first time I I was just like I was just blown away, and then of course rewind in the sense of like wait who is she? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, but then to move ahead for us, put that in Odin's Vault, aka put that in the Museum Award. I have that three-way fight that's great okay so i'm glad that we're you know still intertwined on that yep. for my for my put this in odin's vault award not speaking down to your audience like we've been saying this whole time uh this is tackling some weighty topics and i i don't think it necessarily handles race as transparently and harshly as like an hbo's watchman understandably so because they're two completely different types of demographics and shows but it's still exposing the hypocrisy of American self-exceptionalism, which is what you were talking about before. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. It's not necessarily always the most commercial point of view to take, but it is relevant and real and becoming more relevant every single day. We get these mass shootings, these police shootings, you know, the, the systemic oppression. So I, I really think the realer Marvel can get, the better it is for it. Now we're at the Cap Lifts the Hammer Award for best hero moment. What do you got? Isaiah Bradley saving his squad and putting his losing his wife and his life to do it. I mean, that is as heroic as it gets. And that's why I want to see it, right? Like, yes, the stories are cool, but give us this guy in his glory, right? Like, show us him being the hero that we now know he was. I agree. And actually hearing that, I'm a little bit embarrassed by my answer, but I went with the Rocky trading montage. You know, like that's not a well, that is technically a hero moment. Yeah. yeah, you know, but it's so funny too because realistically, it's like what two days? It's not like he's training for a long time there. I mean, it's really just throwing a disc, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, how long could one can, can one person do that? Especially since someone once told Steve that that thing does not obey the laws of physics and it seems to have a mind of its own. So, all right, Eric, what is the worst thing you can say about this all right. episode? I have a feeling we're going to be on the same page. Now, I want to be fair because there are reports that the flag masher storyline was reworked because it was similar to the pandemic and there was something with a disease going viral, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Taking that all into account with the finale next week, the stakes are in, the stakes are set. This is it. I don't give a fuck. 
like a flying shit. I simply do not care. And then therefore don't feel a sense of epic stakes for that storyline. When it comes to the John Walker standoff, sure. But in terms of their storyline and how that closes, I do not care. You compare that to WandaVision when people were like, was that fly on the wall, the villain? You know, people were were gassed up about that. They could not wait to see how it turned out, right? I need to know, I need to know. That could not be further from the case here, right? I don't, not only do I not need to know, I don't care. Any minute spent with them next week will be a waste. I am aware that that is probably because of how much they've had to rework that story. Like if, they never pointed out how Mama Danya died. There's just or like who gap. she was. I mean, I know they did a little bit, right. but, it's not but enough. So obviously a lot was done on the fly there. So I hear them and I don't want to send them to the gallows for something that was out of their control. But at the same time, you know, we're going into a finale where a, like they're not... Who who would you consider this show's number one antagonist? Walker or them? Now it's Walker. And and I, okay. I'm more invested in that. I think it's more interesting. I couldn't care less about Carl. So if they deliver on that, then that's fine. And I will yeah. accept that the flag mashers were sort of a MacGuffin to get us to the point that we needed to, to get to, to get Walker the serum and all that shit and to force these posing viewpoints on how to be a hero, to force them to express and act on that. You know, Sam says, let me give them time. Walker just busts in, guns blazing, let's fucking do this. So it was all means to an end. But all that said, you know, you just can't forgive the fact that you and I do not give a shit. Yeah, I agree with that. Mine's just a little bit more about structure. I think episode five here would have been better served playing out in conjunction with episode two and across episode three. As you and I have said, the focus and the thematic messaging has been a bit scattershot. I think it would have been Tarantino a Tarantino-esque Nolan style, you're saying, huh? <laughs> Uh, no, not no, not not that. I'm just saying I think this works more in conjunction earlier in the season with episode two instead of, you know, like we said, there's a bit of race relations, then it dips to more like how we fight these battles. Now it's back to this. I think it's it's had a hard time, the show in general, deciding what it wants to be and what it wants to say. I think over five episodes, it's tried to make a little bit of a comment on every ill that plagues the world in a very limited running time. Right. And I think this might have helped it focus a bit. Yeah. Now, what is the um, nicest thing you could say, Eric, about this I episode? Said this before, I think that the conversation between Isaiah and Sam is the most substantive conversation in the MCU so far. It's just two guys in a room talking, but the things that they're talking about are fucking immense. Yeah. Um, and then again, that fight at the start, the three-way fight, was exactly what I hoped it would be and wanted, continuing that solid hand-to-hand combat that we've talked about. Also continuing to be pretty gnarly. Walker's breaking his arm backwards for Marvel is pretty intense imagery. So all in all, I've said this almost each week. It's not that each week is improving by leaps and bounds. I just think each week is a little better than the last. I'd agree. And I think for the most part, I'd agree. Although I think episode one and these are my favorite of the season. I think this was probably the best of the season I think it has the most defined point of view and finally centralizes what it's trying to convey to its audience from a messaging and thematic standpoint, which is born out of very organic character development. So uh, I really liked it. And yeah, 
that, that's it. Uh, let's move on to our Twitter questions at underscore Mr. Blackney. I feel like we need two to three more episodes. Would have liked to see more of Walker's life, his relationship, or a good flashback to him in the military. Uh, dropping Val on us with one episode left is such a tease. And I'm just expecting whatever final fight sequence we get should be longer. Um, I understand the, the desire for a longer episodic run. I think at times it's been a little draggy, so I don't necessarily know if they had enough to, to go too much longer. I think the Val tease works actually really well. I really don't think it takes away from the story at hand, which is my big problem with teasing future projects, but if this was done well, so, you know, I, Plus, I don't I think, necessarily agree. I think the key with Val here is to look at her in the way that I explained her, right? She is a Amanda Waller type character, at least that's how I think she's going to be used. She's not going to be starring in her own show. So it's not like they were going to roll out the red carpet for her here. And again, she was technically supposed to debut in Black Widow. This was just meant to be like a link to that. So when it comes to should it be longer? I mean, you and I are saying there's an entire plot line that we don't care about. So <laughs> I don't think adding more hours to the show is going to help. I would have I would have preferred it to just be a film. I know you said that that's not a realistic choice, but I mean, you know, that's, that's what I think. I don't know necessarily if I'm right. No, I do. I, I do think you're right. I All do right. think. Well, you're thank right, you, buddy. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, at D'Lo Stano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Isaiah is going to train his grandson and that's going to be the credit scene. It seems to me that Isaiah is the most anti anyone becoming a hero, especially someone in his family who he cares about. So I don't necessarily know if that'll be the case, but you know, would his grandson maybe defy his wishes and want to become a hero? Like that would be really, really cool. Well, his grandson in the comics is a young Avenger. I'm going to go fuck myself then. No, no, no. But, <laughs> but, but I think you're right about perhaps on his grandfather training him. If you ain't bitter, you're blind. You know, that doesn't seem like the type of guy who's going to be like, son, you know, you're the next great hope of this nation. Let's go out to the back and have a good old shield cap, son. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he's going to be doing that anytime soon. But maybe Sam gives him the shield. Who knows? All right. Well, that is it for us. Be sure to come back to Post Cred Pod next week for the season finale. Follow us on Twitter at Post Cred Pod. And please, if you like what you're hearing, if you like our theories, our, our awards, our analysis, please leave us a five-star review on Apple. We'd really appreciate it. Next week, finale. That's it. I'm excited, but I'm also sad, but I'm excited. Yeah, and then on to what? The Bad Batch, and we got Quiet Place 2, Cruella, Mortal Kombat in a few weeks. I am fucking souped for that, so fun to get to. A lot of good stuff coming up on the show. All right, y'all. Peace. Yeah. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs> <laughs>